Section 13 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations by John Lord. Socrates, Part 2 thus there was a close connection between his philosophy and his ethics but it was as a moral teacher that he won his most enduring fame the teacher of wisdom became subordinate to the man who lived it as a living christian is nobler than merely an acute theologian so he who practices virtue is greater than the one who preaches it the dissection of the passions is not so difficult as the regulation of the passions the moral force of the soul is superior to the utmost grasp of the intellect the thoughts of pascal are all the more read because the religious life of pascal is known to have been lofty augustine was the oracle of the middle ages from the radiance of his character as much as from the brilliancy and originality of his intellect bernard swayed society more by his sanctity than by his learning the useful life of socrates was devoted not merely to establish the grounds of moral obligation in opposition to the false and worldly teaching of his day but to the practice of temperance disinterestedness and patriotism he found that the ideas of his contemporaries centered in the pleasure of the body he would make his body subservient to the welfare of the soul no writer of antiquity says so much of the soul as plato his chosen disciple and no other one placed so much value on pure subjective knowledge his longings after love were scarcely exceeded by augustine or saint teresa not for a divine spouse but for the harmony of the soul with longings after love were united longings after immortality when the mind would revel forever in the contemplation of eternal ideas and the solution of mysteries a sort of dante in heaven virtue became the foundation of happiness and almost a synonym for knowledge he discoursed on knowledge in its connection with virtue after this fashion of solomon in his proverbs happiness virtue knowledge this was the socratic trinity the three indissolubly connected together forming the life of the soul the only precious thing a man has since it is immortal and therefore to be guarded beyond all bodily and mundane interests but human nature is frail the soul is fettered and bewildered hence the need of some outside influence some illumination to guard or to restrain or to guide this inspiration he was persuaded was imparted to him from time to time as he had need by the monitions of an internal voice which he called greek daemonion or daemon not a personification like an angel or devil but a divine sign or supernatural voice from youth he was accustomed to obey this prohibitory voice and to speak of it a voice which forbade him to enter on public life or to take any thought for a prepared defense on his trial the fathers of the church regarded this daemon as a devil probably from the name but it is not far in its real meaning from the divine grace of st augustine and of all men famed for christian experience that restraining grace which keeps good men from folly or sin socrates again divorced happiness from pleasure identical things with most pagans happiness is the peace and harmony of the soul pleasure comes from animal sensations or the gratification of worldly and ambitious desires and therefore is often demoralizing 
happiness is an elevated joy a beatitude existing with pain and disease whenever the soul is triumphant over the body while pleasure is transient and comes from what is perishable hence but little account should be made of pain and suffering or even of death the life is more than meat and virtue is its own reward there is no reward of virtue in mere outward and worldly prosperity and with virtue there is no evil in adversity one must do right because it is right not because it is expedient he must do right whatever advantages may appear by not doing it a good citizen must obey the laws because they are laws he may not violate them because temporal and immediate advantages are promised a wise man and therefore a good man will be temperate he must neither eat nor drink to excess but temperance is not abstinence socrates not only enjoined temperance as a great virtue but he practised it he was a model of sobriety and yet he drank wine at feasts at those glorious symposia where he discoursed with his friends on the highest themes while he controlled both appetites and passions in order to promote true happiness that is the welfare of the soul he was not solicitous as others were for outward prosperity which could not extend beyond mortal life he did not lacerate the body like brahmins and monks to make the soul independent of it he was a greek and a practical man anything but visionary and regarded the body as a sacred temple of the soul to be kept beautiful for beauty is as much an eternal idea as friendship or love hence he threw no contempt on art since art is based on beauty he approved of athletic exercises which strengthened and beautified the body but he would not defile the body or weaken it either by lusts or austerities passions were not to be exterminated but controlled and controlled by reason the light within us that which guides to true knowledge and hence to virtue and hence to happiness the law of temperance therefore is self-control courage was another of his certitudes that which animated the soldier on the battlefield with patriotic glow and lofty self-sacrifice life is subordinate to patriotism it was of but little consequence whether a man died or not in the discharge of duty to do right was the main thing because it was right like george fox he would do right if the world were blotted out the weak point to my mind in the socratic philosophy considered in its ethical bearings was the confounding of virtue with knowledge and making them identical socrates could probably have explained this difficulty away for no one more than he appreciated the tyranny of passion and appetite which thus fettered the will according to st paul the evil that i would not that i do men often commit sin when the consequences of it and the nature of it press upon the mind the knowledge of good and evil does not always restrain a man from doing what he knows will end in grief and shame the restraint comes not from knowledge but from divine aid which was probably what socrates meant by his daemon a warning and a constraining power est deus in nobis agitante calissimus illo but this is not exactly the knowledge which socrates meant or solomon alcibiades was taught to see the loveliness of virtue and to admire it but he had not the divine and restraining power which socrates called an inspiration and others would call grace yet socrates himself with passions and appetites as great as alcibiades restrained them was assisted to do so by that divine power which he recognized and probably adored how far he felt his personal responsibility to this power i do not know 
the sense of personal responsibility to god is one of the highest manifestations of christian life and implies a recognition of god as a personality as a moral governor whose eye is everywhere and whose commands are absolute many have a vague idea of providence as pervading and ruling the universe without a sense of personal responsibility to him in other words without a fear of him such as moses taught and which is represented by david as the beginning of wisdom the fear to do wrong not only because it is wrong but also because it is displeasing to him who can both punish and reward i do not believe that socrates had this idea of god but i do believe that he recognized his existence and providence most people in greece and rome had religious instincts and believed in supernatural forces who exercised an influence over their destiny although they called them gods or divinities and not the god almighty whom moses taught the existence of temples the offices of priests and the consultation of oracles and soothsayers all point to this and the people not only believed in the existence of these supernatural powers to whom they erected temples and statues but many of them believed in a future state of rewards and punishments otherwise the names of minos and ramadanthus and other judges of the dead are unintelligible paganism and mythology did not deny the existence and power of gods yea the immortal gods they only multiplied their number representing them as avenging deities with human passions and frailties and offering to them gross and superstitious rites of worship they had imperfect and even degrading ideas of the gods but acknowledged their existence and their power socrates emancipated himself from these degrading superstitions and had a loftier idea of god than the people or he would not have been accused of impiety that is a descent from the popular belief although there is one thing which i cannot understand in his life and cannot harmonize with his general teachings that in his last hours his last act was to command the sacrifice of a cock to Asclepius. but whatever may have been his precise and definite ideas of god and immortality it is clear that he soared beyond his contemporaries in his conceptions of providence and of duty he was a reformer and a missionary preaching a higher morality and revealing loftier truths than any other person that we know of in pagan antiquity although there lived in india about two hundred years before his day a sage whom they called buddha whom some modern scholars think approached nearer to christ than did socrates or marcus aurelius very possibly have we any reason to adduce that god has ever been without his witnesses on earth or ever will be why could he not have imparted wisdom both to buddha and socrates as he did to abraham moses and paul i look upon socrates as one of the witnesses and agents of the almighty power on this earth to proclaim exalted truth and turn people from wickedness he himself not indistinctly claimed this mission think what a man he was truly he was a moral phenomenon you see a man of strong animal propensities but with a lofty soul appearing in a wicked and materialistic and possibly atheistic age overturning all previous systems of philosophy and inculcating a new and higher law of morals you see him spending his whole life and a long life in disinterested teachings and labors teaching without pay attaching himself to youth working in poverty and discomfort indifferent to wealth and honor and even power inculcating incessantly the worth and dignity of the soul and its amazing and incalculable superiority to all the pleasures of the body and all the rewards of a worldly life who gave to him this wisdom and this almost superhuman virtue 
who gave to him this insight into the fundamental principles of morality who in this respect made him a greater light and a clearer expounder than the christian paley who made him in all spiritual discernment a wiser man than the gifted john stuart mill who seems to have been a candid searcher after truth in the wisdom of socrates you see some higher force than intellectual hardihood or intellectual clearness how much this pagan did to emancipate and elevate the soul how much he did to present the vanities and pursuits of worldly men in their true light what a rebuke were his life and doctrines to the epicureanism which was pervading all classes of society and preparing the way for ruin who cannot see in him a forerunner of that great teacher who was the friend of publicans and sinners who rejected the leaven of the pharisees and the speculations of the sadducees who scorned the riches and glories of the world who rebuked everything pretentious and arrogant who joined humility and self-abnegation who exposed the ignorance and sophistries of ordinary teachers and who propounded to his disciples no such miserable interrogatory as who shall show us any good but a higher question for their solution and that of all pleasure-seeking and money-hunting people to the end of time what shall a man give in exchange for his soul it very rarely happens that a great benefactor escapes persecution especially if he is persistent in denouncing false opinions which are popular or prevailing follies and sins as the scribes and pharisees who had been so severely and openly exposed in all their hypocrisies by our lord took the lead in causing his crucifixion so the sophists and tyrants of athens headed the fanatical persecution of socrates because he exposed their shallowness and worldliness and stung them to the quick by his sarcasms and ridicule his elevated morality and lofty spiritual life do not alone account for the persecution if he had let persons alone and had not ridiculed their opinions and pretensions they probably would have left him alone galileo aroused the wrath of the inquisition not for his scientific discoveries but because he ridiculed the dominican and jesuit guardians of the philosophy of the middle ages and because he seemed to undermine the authority of the scriptures and of the church his boldness his sarcasms and his mocking spirit were more offensive than his doctrines the church did not persecute kepler or pascal the athenians may have condemned xenophanes and anaxagoras yet not the other ionian philosophers nor the lofty speculations of plato but they murdered socrates because they hated him it was not pleasant to the gay leaders of athenian society to hear the utter vanity of their worldly lives painted with such unsparing severity nor was it pleasant to the sophists and rhetoricians to see their idols overthrown and they themselves exposed as false teachers and shadow pretenders no one likes to see himself held up to scorn and mockery nobody is willing to be shown up as ignorant and conceited the people of athens did not like to see their gods ridiculed for the logical sequence of the teachings of socrates was to undermine the popular religion it was very offensive to rich and worldly people to be told that their riches and pleasures were transient and worthless it was impossible that those rhetoricians who gloried in words those sophists who covered up the truth those pedants who prided themselves on their technicalities those politicians who lived by corruption those worldly fathers who thought only of pushing the fortunes of their children should not see in socrates their uncompromising foe 
and when he added mockery and ridicule to contempt and piqued their vanity and offended their pride they bitterly hated him and wished him out of the way my wonder is that he should have been tolerated until he was seventy years of age men less offensive than he have been burned alive and stoned to death and tortured on the rack and devoured by lions in the amphitheatre it is the fate of prophets to be exiled or slandered or jeered at or stigmatized or banished from society to be subjected to some sort of persecution but when prophets denounce woes and utter invectives and provoke by stinging sarcasms they have generally been killed no matter how enlightened society is or how tolerant the age he who utters offensive truths will be disliked and in some ways punished so socrates must meet the fate of all benefactors who make themselves disliked and hated first the great comic poet aristophanes in his comedy called the clouds held him up to ridicule and reproach and thus prepared the way for his arraignment and trial he is made to utter a thousand impieties and impertinences he is made to talk like a man of the greatest vanity and conceit and to throw contempt and scorn on everybody else it is not probable that the poet entered into any formal conspiracy against him but found him a good subject of raillery and mockery since socrates was then very unpopular aside from his moral teachings for being declared by the oracle of delphi the wisest man in the world and for having been intimate with the two men whom the athenians above all men justly execrated critias the chief of the thirty tyrants whom lysander had imposed or at least consented to after the peloponnesian war and alcibiades whose evil counsels had led to an unfortunate expedition and who in addition had proved himself a traitor to his country public opinion being now against him on various grounds he is brought to trial before the dicastery a board of some five hundred judges leading citizens of athens one of his chief accusers was anatus a rich tradesman a very narrow mind personally hostile to socrates because of the influence the philosopher had exerted over his son yet who then had considerable influence from the active part he had taken in the expulsion of the thirty tyrants the more formidable accuser was meletus a poet and a rhetorician who had been irritated by socrates's terrible cross-examinations the principal charges against him were that he did not admit the gods acknowledged by the republic and that he corrupted the youth of athens in regard to the first charge it could not be technically proved that he had assailed the gods for he was exact in his legal worship but really and virtually there was some foundation for the accusation since socrates was a religious innovator if ever there was one his lofty realism was subversive of popular superstitions when logically carried out as to the second charge of corrupting youth this was utterly groundless for he had uniformly enjoined courage and temperance and obedience to the laws and patriotism and the control of the passions and all the higher sentiments of the soul but the tendency of his teachings was to create in young men contempt for all institutions based on falsehood or superstition or tyranny and he openly disapproved of some of the existing laws such as choosing magistrates by lot and freely expressed his opinions in a narrow and technical sense there was some reason for this charge for if a young man came to combat his father's business or habits of life or general opinions in consequence of his own superior enlightenment it might be made out that he had not sufficient respect for his father and thus was failing in the virtues of reverence and filial obedience considering the genius and innocence of the accused he did not make an able defense he might have done better it appeared as if he did not wish to be acquitted 
he took no thought of what he should say he made no preparation for so great an occasion he made no appeal to the passions and feelings of his judges he refused the assistance of lysias the greatest orator of the day he brought neither his wife nor children to incline the judges in his favor by their sighs and tears his discourse was manly bold noble dignified but without passion and without art his unpremeditated reply seemed to scorn an elaborate defense he even seemed to rebuke his judges rather than to conciliate them on the culprit's bench he assumed the manners of a teacher he might easily have saved himself for there was but a small majority only five or six at the first vote for his condemnation and then he irritated his judges unnecessarily according to the laws he had the privilege of proposing a substitution for his punishment which would have been accepted exile for instance but with a provoking and yet amusing irony he asked to be supported at the public expense in the pyrtaneum that is he asked for the highest honor of the republic for a condemned criminal to ask this was audacity and defiance we cannot otherwise suppose than that he did not wish to be acquitted he wished to die the time had come he had fulfilled his mission he was old and poor his condemnation would bring his truths before the world in a more impressive form he knew the moral greatness of a martyr's death he reposed in the calm consciousness of having rendered great services of having made important revelations he never had an ignoble love of life death had no terrors to him at any time so he was perfectly resigned to his fate most willingly he accepted the penalty of plain speaking and presented no serious remonstrances and no indignant denials had he pleaded eloquently for his life he would not have fulfilled his mission he acted with amazing foresight he took the only course which would secure a lasting influence he knew that his death would evoke a new spirit of inquiry which would spread over the civilized world it was a public disappointment that he did not defend himself with more earnestness but he was not seeking applause for his genius simply the final triumph of his cause best secured by martyrdom so he received a sentence with evident satisfaction and in the interval between it and his execution he spent his time in cheerful but lofty conversations with his disciples he unhesitatingly refused to escape from his prison when the means would have been provided his last hours were of immortal beauty his friends were dissolved in tears but he was calm composed triumphant and when he lay down to die he prayed that his migration to the unknown land might be propitious he died without pain as the hemlock produced only torpor his death as well may be supposed created a profound impression it was one of the most memorable events of the pagan world whose greatest light was extinguished no not extinguished since it has been shining ever since in the memorabilia of xenophon and the dialogues of plato too late the athenians repented of their injustice and cruelty they erected to his memory a brazen statue executed by lysippus his character and his ideas are alike immortal the schools of athens properly date from his death about the year 400 bc and these schools resumed the shame of her loss of political power the Socratic philosophy, as expounded by Plato, survived the wrecks of material greatness. It entered even into the Christian schools, especially at Alexandria. It has ever assisted and animated the earnest searchers after the certitudes of life. It has permeated the intellectual world and found admirers and expounders in all the universities of Europe and America. No man has ever been found, says Grote, strong enough to bend the bow of Socrates, the father of philosophy, the most original thinker, of antiquity 
his teachings gave an immense impulse to civilization but they could not reform or save the world it was too deeply sunk in the infamies and immoralities of an epicurean life nor was his philosophy ever popular in any age of our world it never will be popular until the light which men hate shall expel the darkness which they love but it has been the comfort and the joy of an esoteric few the witnesses of truth whom god chooses to keep alive the virtues and the ideas which shall ultimately triumph over all the forces of evil authorities the direct sources are chiefly plato joet's translation and xenophon indirect sources chiefly aristotle metaphysics diogenes laertius's lives of philosophers grote's history of greece brandis's plato in smith's dictionary ralph waldo emerson's representative men cicero on immortality j martineau essay on plato thurwald's history of greece see also the late work of curtius ritter's history of philosophy f d maurice's history of moral philosophy g h Lewes's biographical history of philosophy hampton's fathers of greek philosophy j s blackie's wise men of greece star king's lecture on socrates smith's biographical dictionary uberweg's history of philosophy w a butler's history of ancient philosophy grote's aristotle end of section 13